It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Joe, I want to begin by congratulating you on earning your captain's wing. Hey, that is so cool. You graduated from Western Kentucky. You were pilot, a rock and roll DJ, like minister, TV weatherman, pilot again. You don't. You should just do your own podcast. You are you with your stories, but I'm so proud of you going through that. I did it. I uh, John's referring to. Uh, I I fly planes for a living now out of many careers. And uh, so I got a type rating in a Challenger 350. I've got my four stripes. I fly a private charter. And hardest thing I've done in the world at 58 years of old, I'm kind of stupid. No, you're not. I just think it's so amazing. It's so stupid. inspiring. <laughs> and you're a young 58. When, they- we were, when we were doing this podcast, we were, we were trying to think of names. And I think the first, you know, we just wanted to be quirky was going to be... Um, uh, Obama gave me COVID, yeah. and then, <laughs> which we'll explain later. We settled on a second cup of coffee with John and Joe and John, and and then I realized, well, your name is freaking Joe, and that yeah. would work in the title. So we felt like this would be kind of the feeling of a second cup of coffee. It, uh, you know, you're settling in. It's going to be Nashville centric. Um, it's kind of almost a where are they now with our guest? We have a great guest. But that almost makes me feel like they're not relevant anymore. And our guest is, you got, I mean, certainly relevant. But so if you love Nashville, if you've been here a while, you and I are going to tap into our Rolodex. You 30-year-olds go Google that and find out what that is. But um, so anyway, uh, yeah. we've, we've got a great guest today. We do. And I think uh, to kind of even cement that further is uh, John spent 30 years as an anchor uh, on the ABC TV affiliate. I spent that same period doing afternoon drive time radio. So John have had John and I have had a decades of friendship um, of sports, music. Uh, we hang out. Our wives hang out. You know, it's it's a great situation of just good friends. And we love talking sh- off. And so um, <laughs> that's what that's what we're going to get. And uh, Obama did give me COVID, by the way. So um, <laughs> if that doesn't tease people to, to stay and not hit 30 seconds forward all the time, that's good. But yeah, but, let's get to it. So, uh, so part of all this uh, time in my lifetime uh, as an afternoon radio guy and what's happened in, in broadcasting as obviously jobs change, you hear different voices on the radio, you see different faces on TV. So I've moved on. I fly planes for a living now. And um, but uh, prior to radio uh, and actually how I got into radio was in music. I'd played drums all my life and uh, I'm at Western Kentucky, as John said, and and uh, in my broadcasting class, I was a broadcasting major, was uh, this gal named Beth Tucker. And so- I did not know that. Yeah. yeah channel Channel From 5. Channel 5. Yeah. Channel 5. Okay. So Beth Tucker was dating this guy named Tommy Womack, whom I didn't know at the time. And uh, so Tommy comes to class one day. Tommy's a broadcasting major too, I think. And so um, it's, he. hey, I got a band. You want to play here? You play drums. And so I was in broadcasting because I actually wanted to play drums for a living. And that was the closest thing I could do without 
having to take a real class. So uh, we joined, I joined, we started Government Cheese in about 1985-ish or so. And so that's where that relationship started. And here we go in 2022. And to my right is one of my best friends. I was best man at his wedding. And we have pumped out some six, seven plus albums. Our new Government Cheese album is called Love. And uh, Tommy Womack, Tommy Glenn Womack via Kentucky via Nashville via the world uh, with his eight plus solo albums and three books and one of the most talented guys I know Tommy Glenn Womack here this morning on the second cup of Joe and John Tommy welcome hello 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 nice to see you what an intro that was quite an intro. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm exhausted just listening to all the things. And join author, author, and 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 poet, and and uh, he, yeah, your your list of you've got a website. You just you do a radio show. Do you do a podcast? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, I should have I should have done some show prep on that. Talk I didn't about know your that. Uh, your Monday morning cup of coffee. I do the Monday morning cup of coffee, and it's a recap of what I did that weekend and a preview of what's coming up this coming weekend. And then sometimes I play a song, and sometimes I just run at the mouth for <laughs> 10, 15 minutes. And people seem to enjoy that part as much as they enjoy the music part. Um, because I, I have been told that I have no filter, especially on stage. I'll say the first thing that comes into mind, no matter how uncomfortable it may make the audience feel, no matter how tasteless it is, um, I, I have a tendency to do that. I don't know why. I don't know if there's a cognitive behavioral therapy class that I could take that would make me have a filter, but I just don't have one. And that comes out in the, it comes out in the live shows and it also comes out in the cup of coffee too. Why do you think that is? Because, you know, do you have an on off switch like that? You're an accomplished guitarist. Do you, 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 you have worked and collaborated and wrote songs and I mean, you, but you just get up there. Just, is there a, you know, a demon that possesses you that makes you like, Hey, I'm just going to go there. I have an on and off switch. Thankfully, I didn't always, um, like in high school, I didn't have an outlet for my silly side and, uh, it alienated a lot of people and I didn't have a sense of humanity. Humans, uh, other students were like cardboard to me. They existed only to try comedy material out on. And now of course, you know, all these years later, of course, I don't believe that, but, uh, I also, because I have an outlet now, I have a show business outlet for the comedy and the music and the entertainment and people paying attention to me, um, that I, I'm not, I don't have to be that way off stage. So I don't, I don't go out of my way to try to be funny off stage. You know, I just kind of save it for the stage because, uh, you, you can wears, try, you can yeah. try, you can, you know, if you, I mean, you can cut loose, you know, in the next 40 minutes or so if you want. Well, you want yeah, it could happen because, yeah, I'm on now. We're trying to I'm get just, people to subscribe or whatever you do with podcasts. You were voted worst bike in the neighborhood. I was voted worst bike in like 1969 or Did 70. Did not know that was a category. Yeah. I grew up in a tough neighborhood, 756 Plainview Drive in Madisonville, Kentucky. It was... It's a coal mining town. 
Moved there in 1968, November 22nd, 1968. Two, uh, two days past my sixth birthday. And uh, I, I had met this guy up the street and we were on his back porch about to play tag or something. And this other fella comes up, John Dozier, who was the local most likely to be incarcerated guy. <laughs> Every and, neighborhood who has one of those. Yeah. And he found out, see, we just moved there that day. I've just met this guy, Barry Bates, in the last three hours, you know, and we were kind of be, becoming friends. And John Dozier comes up. And he finds out I didn't have to go to school that day because we were moving that day. And when he found out I didn't have to go to school that day, he reached out and started choking me with his bare hands against my throat. And I mean really choking me, not anything childlike, but trying to choke me out like I'm Steven Seagal or something. And I thought, I've been in this town five hours now. <laughs> you are and, about to and lose I'm, your yeah, life. That was a I'm good five a, hours. I'm, yeah, five hours and I'm being assaulted. <laughs> and that set the tone for all the time I lived there. I, I lived there until I went off to college. And, uh, okay, I was, I just turned six. My personality was still malleable. You know, I'm still developing a personality. Everybody is at that age. And I learned how to roll with the punches and give as good as I got. And I learned to be funny. To Because, you know, funny, obviously it makes people laugh and, and, and you interpret la laughter as love, comedians do. And uh, so I had that going for me. And... Uh, um, I learned I learned how to deal with these tough kids on the street because they were all coal miners kids. Mm -hmm. All their parents are pissed off. There's not a happy coal miner in the world. A lot of dirt under the fingernails. A lot and of all dirt that. under yeah. the fingernails. And uh, so the the song we're going to play in a second, "Hey Brother, Big Brother," is about my older brother Jerry, who was six years older than me six years older than me and his personality was already pretty formed and the other kids on the street found that they could get under his skin and he couldn't change he was already sort of a grumpy uh gus you know who considered me obnoxious and considered other people to be uh not worth being friends with for some reason. He was angry. He was an angry kid. And these kids on Plainview Drive just took to like took to that like bears to honey. They knew they could irritate him. He'd mow somebody's lawn up the street and it'd look beautiful. You know, he'd get five dollars for it. And uh as soon as he was done mowing the front yard, all the other teenage kids would run across the yard and kick it and scrape it and mess with it totally. And he would get so angry. And if he didn't, if he learned to act the way I did, then he would have, you know, shut the kids up and they'd respect him. But they, you know, it was, it was a tough neighborhood. I look back on it and I, I thought we were middle class at the time. And I look back now and realize we were working poor, 
Mom fed the family on $20 a week. Dad made $1,972 a week. Unless he officiated a wedding, that would be an extra $25 a week. A eulogy, extra $20, $25 a week. But we... Uh, I te- I had a musical aptitude test in seventh grade, and I scored so high that the high school band director came to our house uh, and recruited you. Re- wanted to recruit me, yeah. and we were so poor that we couldn't afford an instrument. So I would stand next to the marching band at football games, and I didn't give a damn about the football game. The football players were nowhere near as cool as the marching band with their uniforms and they're getting to play music. Cause even at that age, I wanted to play music with somebody I want. I knew it would be a buzz and I would stand right next to them and pretend I was part of the band. And so all these years later, were you playing air guitar? What were you doing? I was just looking at them longingly. (laughs) Um, and, uh, Um, now I, you know, I play, I, most people know me in town, whether they like me or not is immaterial. They know who I am and I've played music with a whole lot of different people. I've had a whole lot of different people in my bands over 35 years of doing this solo. Um, and, um, and I'm accepted I'm asked to jam with other people. I ask other people to join my bands. I get good reviews for my records, and I'm in the band now. And that that means so much to me that I'm actually, I don't wear a marching band uniform, but in my heart, I do. You know, it's, it's a triumphant feeling to me to be uh, a fixture in the singer-songwriter set of this town, um, we're not as big a money maker as the Music Row country acts. And that's kind of good because everybody in the Americana scene that I know, everybody's nice for a couple of reasons, I think. Uh, it doesn't matter in Nashville if you play great or sing great because everybody already does that. Yep. Nobody cares about that. What they care about is, are you nice? Can I get along with you on a tour bus for six weeks in the Midwest or three days in a studio? Are you the type that complains about stuff or are you the type that it's like water running off a duck's back? That's what matters. And... I tell people that, you know, I had a lot of people say, how do I break into the music business in this town? And I say, rule number one, first thing you do is hang out, go to the club, see other people play, get to know people, get on an open mic and let people hear you for the first time and get on another open mic after that, get to know the who books the club and don't jump the gun maybe six months later after doing all this hanging out and the right and the uh, open mic nights, then see if you can get on opening for somebody. Yeah. And uh, they call it a five-year town here. <laughs> if you do that sort of thing and just 
build your rep in five years, you can be somebody. Well, in the nonprofit business, it, it's an eight year overnight success. And I, <laughs> at least it was for me and I'm not a, a good learner, but I, I understand that Joe. The, uh, Let's play. We'll play a little bit. Yeah, this let's is government do. cheese. This is our new. I am the drummer in government cheese. Uh, Tommy obviously is the founder and the guitarist. Government cheese. Uh, this is where you'll hear. Uh, this is hey brother, big brother off the new government cheese CD. Love. So, you know, I've, I've listened to this uh, probably four or five times now in the uh, Global International Headquarters where we're yes. cutting this in East Nashville. It is that. It's, you, it is if, that. If, this is why we're not doing video, because if people are seeing this, if there was a fire marshal, he'd probably kick three of us out of this tiny room. <laughs> Chase Akers, our producer, is in here as well. We've crammed, crammed in here. But uh, I've listened to this, and that, that I, I, you know, the different ones I like. I, I love the opener. I like younger than I was, but uh, this is good stuff. So, I, look, I want to go back to when you guys were in Cheese and you started out. Uh, you've done music videos in the 80s. They've been on uh, MTV at the time. Uh, you've had hits that chart. Uh, you left the band, I think, in, in the mid-90s. But bands don't, you know, you played a gig in Louisville. You got, you know, Nashville. You do this every once in a while. Why is there longevity and and above the pay grade of a lot of bands that just are now in their fifties and don't make it. Tommy, what, what did you see in this and why did you stick with it? And then you came back. We have such a devoted fan base. Yeah, you do. And most of them are our age now, of course. And they, they formed a big family over time, much like deadheads, did, uh, all those considerably different type of music. And um, they have stuck with us. People fly in from all over the country and all over the world to be at the shows and do all the dances they made up for different songs. And also what's happening is they're bringing their kids and in some cases even grandkids. And we're probably more famous now than we were when we were an active full-time band from 1985 to 1992. Um, part of it's the book I wrote that spread the word a little bit, and part of it is just the diaspora of the cheeseheads to all over the world. 
and spreading the gospel, so shall we say. And um, it, we, do, we try not to do it so often as to uh, decrease our audience and take away from the event-like status of when we do play. Um, but when we do, it's a joy. It's, it's as much a joy to see all our old friends hate the word fans you know, they're, they're friends, you know, we, we get joy out of seeing them and catching up. Show me a picture of your kids. How you doing? Um, and they, and they get a kick out of seeing one another as well, because these are people that always saw each other at the same shows back in the day. And it's, it's just a wonderful feeling. And we rehearse a lot for these shows. It's not like, Everybody drop boxes a list of tunes and learns them and shows up 30 minutes before the gig and nails it. That's the Nashville way, but that's not the government cheese way. We get together and we really nail these songs down. And that's why even after playing this killer show in Louisville two weekends ago, we're getting together tonight to, you know, brush up and make sure we still have our edge this coming uh, day after tomorrow, night after tomorrow, Saturday at the Basement East. Basement East, the beast. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it, uh, too, is I'm going to re rewind just a little bit for you and I, and then we'll instantly fast forward to where you're sitting now. Uh, Government Chief started in about 1985. We got on a record label here in Nashville, Reptile Records, and that's what our first two two records came out on and you know we were this is pre-internet so tommy used to write these glorious uh letters literally that we would mail we get a mailing list when you came into the club we had a mailing list and then we played all these places throughout the south the north headed towards the west and we'd keep these uh addresses and mail you like here we come and it'd be a great letter and the people kept coming out and part of it is what tommy talked about is his his writing ability is what is his key his strength and so uh we played all these places and now when we play it's just once or twice every five years. So everybody gravitates. It's If we did it all the time, we'd have 20 people probably in the crowd. But it's it's great for what we do. Our new CD, Government Cheese Love, uh, that you can check out at guffedcheese.com. Uh, it is really one of our best CDs, uh, I think. And so let me fast forward to now. After Reptile Records, Tommy was in a band called The Biscuits. Uh, he then has segged into eight solo albums of his own. And talk about what a slacker! He's done slacker. nothing with his life. I just—he's going to look back and go, "What? What have I done?" They all really. Uh, what hasn't he done? That, well, they all ebb and flow. You can tell through the emotions in his life. Uh, the songs that are on there are pretty much what he was living at the time. Talk about your new CD. Give a quick synopsis of your new CD and uh, the anthology that's out. I um, uh, recorded my new CD. It's called I Thought I Was Fine. And it was recorded over a year in two to three hour blasts uh, with me and Jonathan Bright, who plays with my son in a band right now, as a matter of fact. And, And we would just work on one song for two or three hours, uh, have a cigarette break and say, all right, what you doing next week on Wednesday? And it's like, oh, we can fit something in. And I played all the guitars 
and all the bass. For once in my life, I didn't ask any. And I have some hot shot killer musician session cats that I've always used and used none of them this time. Jonathan played the drums. I played the guitars and bass and harmonica and sang the lead. Jonathan sang background and the only other person that's on the record is Lisa Oliver Gray. She sang some harmonies. And it's a rock and roll record. I had an epiphany. I have been pegged into the Americana genre mm-hmm. all all my years as a solo artist. And I still am. This record, even though it's very much a hard rock record, I'll still be slotted in that category because it's really the only game in town for a 59-year-old man. And I'm sure I'm playing rock and roll that sounds a bit antiquated to kids at home. Uh, and it's a hip-hop nation now, so it's hard to get heard. But uh, I, let, let me let me just interrupt and say that on the, your wiki page, uh, with genres, you are listed as post-punk and roots rock. I don't think they give out a Grammy for that. I don't think that's a. I don't think that's a cat. If it was, you'd, you'd win every year. Win it. Yeah, but it's Metallica. accurate. It's accurate. Although the roots rock thing sometimes on this new record is just rock rock. Um, I the epiphany I had was a couple of years ago when first of all I thought you know I hate Dobros. I used to like them okay, but I, if I never hear another Dobro again, I'd be happy. I have a jam box in my bathroom, and I put on a record to take a shower by. And when I do that, you know, and I liked Americana. I liked those records I made in that style. I got nothing against them, and I got nothing against the talented artists that are affiliated with it. But I realized that... When I put on shower music, I didn't put on Jason Isbell. I didn't put on Lucinda Williams or Steve Earle or Avid Brothers. I put on ACDC, The Stones, uh, maybe an old Who record. You shower uh, quicker, really, with the up-tempo. It, yeah. You, you save water. You rub your face with the rag with a little more intensity. and uh, <laughs> um, And I just thought... I like rock and roll. This is probably the one music that I like uh, this much anymore. And I'm going to play rock and roll from now on. The next record will be exactly the same as this. As I thought I was fine. There's, I'm not going to change a thing because we've got something that I like and what a lot of other people like. There's a lot of people that were really happy and told me about it. You've gone back to rock and roll, man. It sounds like the cheese. This is awesome. And and I'm happy about that, too. You wrote a book. It was called, uh, you referenced it a few moments ago, uh, The Cheese Chronicles, The True Story of Rock and Roll, uh, the true story of a rock and roll band you've never heard of. Uh, you've heard of. You've never heard of. What am I reading? It, it. Do, I, do I have that right? I butchered that. Well, I, I, I have it right here up here. Government Cheese, The Cheese Chronicles, The True Story of a rock and roll band you never heard you've of. never heard of that's got to be good stuff i have not read that when, what year did you write that do you remember that came out i wrote it over a two-year period three-year period actually 
and it came out in 1995, not long before my first solo record came out. Well, what's what's fascinating is you write a rock and roll memoir, and you guys are still playing. I mean, clearly, you didn't sell anybody out, or you, I don't know, made it PG-13. I can't believe some of the stories, well, I probably can, of the stuff that you guys all went through, but... That's a testament to your friendship. Um, friendship is very strong in this band. We're, I mean, we're family. Joe was best man at my wedding. I was worst man at his. <laughs> uh, Billy Mack on bass, Viva McQueen on guitar, uh, Scott Willis on lead vocals most of the time and guitar. And uh, Joe Elvis here on the drums, and me on guitar and vocals. You're all in the same age group. Are you? Are you? Are you surprised none of you are dead? I'm surprised I'm still around because it was not so bad during the cheese days. We were in our twenties and uh, pretty physically resilient. But I could tell you rock and roll stories that would curl your hair about things that I've done to myself and can't do anymore. Um, but you're you're in a good spot now, right? Don't you feel life wise? You you've got a lot of balance. I feel really good these days. Yeah. I uh, I I have been seeing the same shrink for twenty five years now, and nothing breaks my heart like hearing somebody say, "Oh, well, I tried Prozac and I didn't like how it made me feel, or it didn't do anything, so I just stopped taking it." And I'll ask, "Well, did you take anything else and try again? Zoloft, uh, uh, you know, anything? You know, there's plenty of options." And they said, "Nah." And you gotta keep throwing stuff at the wall until something sticks, yeah. and you gotta come up with a regimen of. Uh, other drugs help each other work. And I take enough drugs to choke a mule, and uh, um, I don't like taking that many pills, uh, but it keeps me off ledges. It works, and it took us, like I said, I've had the same shrink for 25 years, and we've got, we figured me out. We figured what works. And, uh, and yeah, I'm a pretty happy guy now, everything. And not just because of the chemical aspects of helping overcome depression. That's, that's not the full battle. Um, unless you exercise and eat right and drink a lot of water and take care of yourself physically, all the Prozac in the world's not going to help you. It's only half the battle all the antidepressants you might take. On that note, well, Tommy's also been battling cancer here lately. I'll bring that up. So we'll lift up our prayers for Tommy because he's doing great. He's uh, overcome it. And you wouldn't even know it the way he rocked for over two plus hours in Louisville and the way he's going to do it Saturday night in Nashville. Um, so you're a, you're a great success story of longevity and strength Indomitable spirit, fortitude. What's something else there? Um, um, charisma. Punk rock warlord. Exactly. That's Tiny, the name of his next, next memoir. He did Dust Bunnies. 
Yeah, Dust Bunnies was the second memoir after Cheese Chronicles. Talk a little bit about Lavender Boys. That was your third book. That's, La- my, that's yeah. my favorite one. The Lavender Boys and Elsie is a comic novella that I wrote about, and it's it, it's entirely made of letters back and forth between Elsie, a slightly crazy sister who's sort of a Cinderella figure in a rich man's house doing all the cleaning and cooking while her three sisters uh, constantly tortured her, very Cinderella type of person. And uh, she's writing letters to her brother who had enlisted as a Confederate soldier, and uh, he was a closeted gay man. And he, he had the knack of finding every superior officer who was also closeted gay, and he rose up into the ranks until he was captain with another gay sort of mentor, a major general over him, and the Civil War, the, the Southern armies were running out of manpower that they couldn't really um, re, what's the word I'm looking for, reproduce. Um, so all the male nurses were gay, so they mustered them into their own regiment, and um, they became known as the Lavender Boys because they were the best-dressed soldiers on the battlefield, and they tied little (laughs) lavender scarves around their neck with the knot on the side of their neck, and that's how they became known as the Lavender Boys. All this is fiction. Yeah, Yeah, but I do everything in my power to make it appear to be nonfiction. That's fascinating. It's a great. It would be a great movie for somebody to make. Mm-hmm. That's the Lavender Boys and Elsie, and uh, Dust Bunnies, Cheese, <laughs> Cheese Chronicles, or Tommy's three books, all his eight albums. TommyWomack.com is where you can check that out. And uh, it's just you know it's it's still fun to hang out. You know, our John and I hang out and like talking to people, but this is kind of awkward for me because it's part of my life and history sitting next to Tommy. So it's, oh, this is great. It's, it's fun to talk about all. So I think it's, it'd be a perfect time. Questions? Questions? Ask your questions. Time for questions. 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 We have questions. questions. We have questions. questions. Ten questions. questions. Rapid fire. Don't overthink this, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in, you know, quick, short answers. Here we go. Question number one. What is one of your biggest pet peeves? Um, okay. Um, people overstepping the bounds of socializing. Uh, especially drunks who come up to you and say, hey, man, you're great, and uh, say thank you. And about two minutes later, they stagger back up to you and say, hey, man, what? You're great. And then five minutes later, they come back and say, hey, man, I just want to let you know you're great. Well, I, you know what's great about this is this is a tutorial of what for me not to do to Tommy Saturday night when I go to the show. <laughs> Don't be that guy. You're great. Yeah, <laughs> or I could do it just as a sight gag and then just see if he if he catches on. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to push it. Okay. Most outrageous thing you've ever done and gotten away with? I, from the year 2005 till September 2005, 
to September 2007, uh, I had a two-year cocaine nightmare. I got turned on in Memphis one night at a gig. I was opening for Soul Asylum, and uh, I had some. And just out of the blue, a complete coincidence, the next week I ran into a guy that I found out was a dealer. And uh, I I became his next best friend. And I had this romantic notion. See, I was trying to get my musical career restarted at the same time I was working a a 40-hour-a-week job. And my theory going into it, which was totally fallacious, was that uh, if I started using Coke, then I could stay awake at night and keep up with the mailing list and answer all the emails and play my guitar and write songs and do all that well into the evening. And the next morning, I would use it to have enough energy to get through my day and then do do all the business stuff at night. And cocaine doesn't work that way. Um, by the time you get home, you're physically, mentally, you're still got all the lights on. Only they're strobe lights is what they are. <laughs> and uh, you don't do any extra work. You sit until 6 a.m. watching television with a brain that can't even produce a thought. So, uh, and it ended badly. I, um, um, it was suggested that I find another place to live the day before I went on a 30-day tour of Europe, which uh, is not a good way to be. No, that's not the kickoff. Not a good send-off. You you want, wow. Well, and here you are, though. The most outrageous thing was, and I I would be getting coked up at work all day long. I'd go to the bathroom every 30 minutes and open my little bag I had knotted up, pour a little on top of the toilet paper dispenser, and scoot it into a line with my debit card and roll up a dollar bill and snort it. I was doing this many times a day. And once, sitting at my office desk, which is the first desk you see when you walk into the political science department office, I more than once cleared all the paper away from one section of my desk, poured out a little bit of cocaine in a baggie, scooped it together and snorted it right there at my desk. And if somebody came in on me, so be it. And nobody did. I didn't get caught. But it did make me think later. It's like, man, that that sounds like you're getting a, a little out of hand, Tommy. <laughs> yes. You Just, want a smidge. You want Scarface. Yeah. Dumped it on the table, planted your face in it. Oh and off I went. Okay, so how about this for the next question after that story? So your father was a preacher. There's spiritual overtones in a lot of your songs. Uh, who who was your favorite person in the Bible? Jesus. Well, let's go Absolutely. for the time. Hey, no we do doubt. not we do not use profanity on this. On the, we try to try to keep it down, Tommy. We oh, he meant he went Jesus on us. Okay, yeah. And why is that? Because. Um, I am also very interested in the historical Jesus. There's the Jesus of faith, and there's the historical Jesus where scholars 
attempt to put two and two together with what we know and uh, what we can learn about the original man whose name was Eshua. Uh, that's, uh, that's how they pronounced it. Uh, and it's also, it's the root word for Jesus. It's also the root word for Joshua. Could have gone either way. Um, and, you know, you can, you can have your own views about whether Jesus was the son of God or not. My um, opinion is that God can have as many sons as he wants. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. It's not like he's, he's got a he's got a lot of bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. He, God has a lot of bandwidth, and uh, um, Jesus was a special creature, and I do believe that weird things happened around him. Um, and even if he never existed, whoever wrote the Sermon on the Mount or the beginning of the Gospel of John was a genius. Whoever did it was touched by God, and um, he did exist. 99.99% of scholars know he, an original guy did exist. He was an ardent Jew. He, wanted to, he wasn't wanting to start a new offset, offset religion. He was wanting to bring the Jewish faith back to where it was before all the corruption happened because the high priests were as corrupt as any politician we have today. And there was no separation of church and state. The high priests were the senators and governors of the Jewish population. And um, they say he's all about, Christ is all about love, and he wasn't. You know, he came not to bring peace to the world, he said, but to a sword, you know. But uh, at the same time, he was fighting for something. He was fighting for something very important and is still important to this day. And um, all the things he have, has to say, the meaning of a lot of the parables has gone by the wayside, but a lot of them haven't if, if you stop and think about it long enough. What, um, master, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's like a rich man who wanted to have a banquet and he sent all his invitations out to his other rich friends, his Jewish friends, of course, and uh, all of them had an excuse, can't make it, I'm going to a Rush concert that night, whatever it was. They couldn't go. So the... Uh, master of the house was angry so he went out and had his servants deliver invitations to all the the samaritans the uh the uh, all the infidels and invite them in and one thing about the jews is it was a hard fast rule you didn't eat with a non-jew eating was a very sacred thing and here's jesus describing the kingdom of heaven as a meal that anybody can eat at. And that was, that was revolutionary. Um, there's others in there, like the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. The Hebrews and the Samaritans hated each other. 
And here's this guy. He gets mugged and beaten almost to death. One Pharisee walks down the road and crosses to the other side to keep away from the guy. A high priest comes down the road and crosses over to not bother with the guy. A Samaritan comes down the road with a donkey, picks the man up, puts him on the back of the donkey, and takes him to an inn and pays up for two weeks and says, I'll be back around in two weeks if he needs any more money to stay here or if he's healed up. And that's the message. People think the message is you should be nice to people. The message was to a a first-century Jew that everybody is the same. People are capable of good works no matter who they are. And that's what it really means. Uh, and I've read a lot of you know books like J.D. Croson, uh, Jesus, a Revolutionary Biography, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth by Reza Aslan, uh, E.P. Sanders, John Shelby Spong, a lot of stuff that uh, kind of cuts through a lot of the BS. But... One thing I do believe in my heart was when they went to Passover in Jerusalem and Jesus wound up on the cross, something weird happened. Now, I believe in ghosts. I've seen one. I've seen what it does. And uh, there, there are disciples of Jesus who went to being crucified themselves because they refused to recant that he had resurrected. They, they refused to, under severe torture, recant their statements and their beliefs. So something happened. Uh, and I don't know what it was. But, but the, the guy was touched to the point of being supernatural. And he's who I would have really liked to have met. And, uh, and you will one day. And I will one day. I hope. Uh, I'm a very flawed Christian. I've had. I'm a man who's had many vices over the years, and I am a man who has done a lot of unprincipled things. But um, also, the last thing I say in my head every night is "Thank you, Jesus." You know, before I nod out on my pillow. Um, Cause I'm a preacher's kid, you know, and that stuff never. Yeah, it's quite, in your DNA. Yeah, it doesn't quite ever leave you. You know what? Uh, a little known fact about the Last Supper was was when they <clears throat> went to set that up, they asked for a reservation for twenty six, and they said, "Well, sir, there's only thirteen of you." And he said, "Well, we're all going to be sitting on the same side." So. <laughs> <laughs> you finally got to use that. You've had that for years. Like, I was locked and loaded. This is good. That was good stuff. <laughs> part of part of having a good joke is not talking that it's a good joke. That's so we're going to edit one. that out. No. Uh, question five. Uh, we still got five more to go, yeah, Tommy. No, these, no. Are called, <laughs> these are called this rapid is ra- fire. This is rapid, rapid fire. fire. All right, pretend you're in the shower listening to ACDC, <laughs> washing your face. Uh, best quality of your wife, Beth, and I'm going to say you can't use forgiving because <laughs> that would be in your top three probably best quality cute and yeah. integrity yeah she has more integrity than any person i've ever met in 37 years of being together i have never heard her once tell a lie 
to anybody ever. And I know as well, she is the best cook, a beautiful mother, beautiful family from Horse Cave, Kentucky, Beth Tucker Womack. Lucky woman there. I am lucky. I meant you're lucky. I am lucky. She has saved my life many, many times. (laughs) And uh, you've written a lot of books. What's, how about this? We'll just, I don't want to put what's your favorite book, but what's, uh, what book are you reading right now? Um, I just, I'm in the middle of uh, deciding which book I'm going to read. I just, the book I just finished was The Order of Time by Carlos Ravelli. And he's a physicist and astronomer who is a president, a professor rather, uh, in France. He's originally from Milan. And it's all about the nature of time and the universe you know time and space are the same thing try to wrap that around your head sometime gravity slows down time the gravity where your gps satellite is about 20,000 you know yards up in the air or miles i don't know how high it up high up it is but a second moves slightly faster there then a second moves on Earth. And if they didn't calibrate for that with the GPS, your GPS wouldn't work because the satellite tracks how far you travel in the space of a second. I can't wait to read that book. <laughs> that what is, the hell did you get into that? I got a 900 on the SAT. I, could not, I can't even live, read the Cliff's Notes of no. that and figure it out. I would have yeah. read it, that front cover, and go three sentences in. I didn't even get that one. You know, I understand about 3% of these books. I've read A Brief History of Time by Steve, Stephen Hawking. I read a huge bio of Albert Einstein, which included a lot of the al- algebraic formulas yeah. that uh, make up the theory of relativity. And I don't understand Jack Diddley's squat of most of it, but I do get some of it more every every time I read that. And it's fascinating. Quantum physics is fascinating, too, where all the rules of the universe totally break down and uh, particles don't exist until you look at them, things like that. Uh, well, you've always been a reader. You're very diverse. You can name all the presidents in a row. You can tell the story of Abraham Lincoln from his birth through his home to presidency just about. So uh, we've called Tommy the acknowledger in the band because he acknowledges all things great and ridiculous. And so uh, I, I've learned a great lesson. Just be a reader. You know, if you're not reading, you're not you're not learning or opening yourself up. So I I appreciate why you always read those. I forgot that the, I have started a book. I read a chapter last week and I put it aside for a second. Uh, The private Lincoln is what it's called. I'm an Abraham Lincoln groupie. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he left around about 110 notes for himself and little first drafts of speeches of which only a few lines would wind up in a speech and they're very revealing about what the man really felt and thought because he was really guarded about his own feelings. He told jokes. He could write a hell of a speech, but even the people closest to him didn't really quite know what made him tick or what demons he may have had. Um, the story I like to talk about with Abraham Lincoln and his first cabinet was 
say you're uh, four musicians in town and you're all young, you're all talented, you're all the best at what you do, and every one of them is thinking, uh, I'm the next guy to sign a big record deal. Mm -hmm. And so is everybody else. They have devoted audiences. And then this hayseed with high water pants moves into town and starts playing his, you know, tunes, looking homely on stage. Playing the dobo, you know. Play, playing the dobo and the dirigidadu. And, uh, um, and guess who gets the record deal? And the other four guys hate him, but they're the best musicians for his backup band. So he hires them and they despise him for a while and then they come around to, well, these songs aren't bad. And another year goes by, and they wind up worshiping the guy. And that was Lincoln's cabinet. Practically every member of Lincoln's cabinet was running for president themselves, and they had utter contempt for Lincoln. He was a total redneck as far as they were concerned, and he kind of was. Um but but by the end of his administration, these guys would have walked across red hot coals for him. Um, that's you know, and uh, you know, because he picked the best man for the job, not because whether he liked him or not, or they liked him. This is the best Secretary of War we could ever have, and Edwin Stanton, William Seward could have been the best you know, had to be the best secretary of state and on and on and on. And these guys hated him at first and that didn't mean a damn thing to him. That's integrity. I say there, that's, uh, I don't know what got me off on those tangents <laughs> about. Lincoln. I can't even remember the question, what but that was that? a hell of an answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember the question either. <laughs> that's, that's oh, I was talking about uh, the book that I have started yeah, right now. Right. Right. Yeah. Two, uh, two more. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, do you have, and my goodness, he's a Renaissance man, but do you have any hidden talents? Something you can uh, do that people are like, wow, maybe even Beth doesn't know that the, you're good at. The first thing I was noticed at being good at, uh, even before I went to school, was a visual artist. I drew a lot of pictures every day. I got into painting um, and... As, as soon as I, you know, mom got her GED when I was in seventh or eighth grade, and she had to have a typing class. So dad kind of absconded from his office with an electric typewriter and brought it home. And she practiced on that typewriter. And whenever she wasn't on it, I got on it and just started typing jokes that I was making up and little short stories and stuff. And uh, and just like with um, the band director visiting my house, I got a letter. My old brother Jerry was going to college by then, and he brought home a letter from his English professors saying that you, ha you have the goods to be a writer. You should really consider doing that. And uh, I didn't do much about her. Well, I guess I did. I didn't go to the college that Jerry went to, but I was a minor in writing in college. I was a master. Uh, I was a, my major was in mass communication, but my minor was in writing. 
And I like to think that I've made my major work for me. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. And yeah, yeah, the major and your minor. So here's the final okay. question Here off that. Out of the two, three, what, a six, seven government cheese albums, couple biscuits, eight Tommy Womack albums, just off the top of your head, which one of those is one of your favorites? Um, well, if I say the new one, that's going to sound like BS, like I'm promoting myself. But either the new one or the government cheese anthology that came out in 1980, oh, yeah. 1997. That's good. Um, no, it didn't come out that early. It came out 2011, I think. Uh, I like those very much. <laughs> 87 or 2011. There's no gap there. There's a little fuzzy. I'm a little fuzzy on the math. <laughs> I like the Biscuits record a lot. We made one yeah. record for John Prine's label, Oh Boy Records, and I like that record a lot too. Well, that's 10 questions. That's it. Questions. TommyWomack.com. You can listen to, buy, and read you, to your heart's content. And uh, we're glad that you came in today, Tommy. And... Um, you're just a, a tremendous guy, and we look forward to hearing and seeing you for a long time to come. He does so many things. He's you know you write for the East Nashvilleian. Do you still do that? Still like, do that. And that's is that the back or the front? Because it's always the prime spot. Um, my column is called East of Normal, and it's always on the final page of the magazine. And I do some reporting for them. I interview people, and I write press bios for artists as a sideline. And other than that, you'd be amazed how not busy I am and how much television I do watch because everything I do is public. Everybody sees it or hears it. I do a one-hour-a-week radio show. Okay, that's three hours, one preparing for it, one to do the show, one to put the records back on the shelf. I write a column, an occasional article, those are the equivalent of six hours of work. Um, I do a video blog. That's a couple hours work. That's enough to where you could do it in one day. And the other six days of the week, I'm, I can't say the word I want. I'm, <laughs> I'm wonking off the other six days of the week. Well, let me just give you, and, and, uh, uh, I want to read just one paragraph from one of your columns. You were you were you were dumping on uh, holidays for you know just kind of silly things, and this is what you said about Valentine's Day in your East Nashvilleian column. It says it's it's the most not wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Valentine's Day can piss up a rope. Oh yeah, let's spend a lot of money on roses, a lot of money on a restaurant, spend money at CVS for those little mint hearts that say "Be mine." Spend money for enough cards for each classmate. The rugrat has multiplied by how many rugrats you have by getting the crappy candy and the heart-shaped box. Pay the babysitter, spring for the good wine and dinner. Uh, maybe you'll get laid. And for what it's worth, Valentine's Day falls on a Monday this year. Nobody over thirty gets laid on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go on about St. Patrick. You've got a really quirky uh, delivery about your about your writing. It, I, it's just it's you just have a, a wonderful style, and um, to be able to write, to be able to do the audio and the video, 
uh, it is mass communications. Uh, and then to be an accomplished uh, guitarist, to be in these and have the friendships you have and to survive a, you know, a car wreck, we didn't even get into that and you survive that and a cocaine. Um, you're not a cat, but you've gone about seven lives. Yeah. I'm on, uh, where are you? I'm on my seventh, eighth or ninth life. I've been brought back to life in an ambulance. I've been T-boned by a semi truck. Uh, I've been arrested. Um, I, you know, I've, I used to think of myself as a poser, just pretending to be a, you know, dusty troubadour, like Woody Guthrie or somebody. And now I know that I'm closer to that authenticity than I ever thought I had been. Cause I, I was a junkie. I've seen people die. I've preached eulogies for my friends who died. Uh, for indulgence reasons. I've been there. I've done that stuff. Um, we have a song called, well, no, I'll not get into that. I'll just leave it at that. And, you know, it's, uh, uh, what was the question? <laughs> I know. That's a good way to end that, right that there. Is, that is, that is. This episode good. will be called, What Was the Question? <laughs> Tommy, thanks for coming in. John, thanks for uh, on our uh, second cup of Joe. And John talking about government cheese. Um, the new album is out govcheese.com. It's called love. And I agree with Tommy since I'm sitting behind him, uh, as the rhythm custodian, one of our best CDs. So, uh, appreciate you both letting us both chime in today. No, this was good. And thanks for people listening to second cup of Joe and John. It's the second cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email joekingwx at gmail.com or text 615-289-1703. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John.